Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Welcome to this Good Friday service. Oh, Hallelujah. Yes, yes. I need two or three worshipers yes, yes. in the house yes. to join me Hallelujah. as yes. we celebrate the King of Kings yes. and the Lord of Lords. Thank you, Lord. yes. He is risen. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. King yes. of Kings yes. and Lord of Lords. Yes. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hey. Come on, put your hands together. Hey. Here we go. King of kings, you are. Lord of lords, you are. King of kings, you are. Lord of lords.
worship. Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together one more time. Let me welcome those of you that are in the building and those that are watching by way of device. Thank you for streaming with us for our Good Friday service. As you all know, we call this a Good Friday, not because the stuff that happened was good, but because we got a good God that can turn even bad stuff into good things, amen? Let me open us in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day and all that we get a chance to celebrate. Father, it is amazing that we can now celebrate the cross, which was an instrument of torture. But God, you have a way of taking even the worst, most vile things of humanity, transforming them and making them holy. So thank you for this holy day. Thank you for the word that is getting ready to come forth. Thank you for our celebration. Thank you for this reminder of just how good you are. And so we are ready, we are open, and we are desiring to hear from you. Holy Spirit, have your way. And it is in your marvelous son, Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, amen. Well, let me welcome you again to Emmanuel, where God is indeed doing something special. And as we begin our Sunday, uh, Good Friday service today, we want to now drape the cross. You know I'm short, so I'm going to try my best to get this done right. Uh, glory to the name. We're going to drape our cross in red to signify the blood that Jesus shed for us. So as we go through this moment, as we have uh, amazing messages that are coming, we want to constantly be in your view that all of these messages are coming from a blood-stained cross, and that blood was given for us. Today, the setup is going to be very simple. We didn't pass anything out, but it's the seven last words of Jesus. And we will have three of our uh, ministers go forth. After that, we'll have a, a break, if you will, with some worship. We'll have an opportunity for offering. Then we'll have three more. And then we'll close off with the last of um, our ministers uh, preaching. Uh, there are a couple of things I want to announce up top. First is we will be celebrating some new ministers who are coming along, being uh, connected with us, uh, that they are now connected. And so I'm super excited about that. But let me introduce the first three. First, we have Minister Katrina coming. After her will be Reverend David Brown. And then after Reverend David will be Minister Renee. And I'll let them each say the word that they'll be preaching. Let us welcome Minister Katrina. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank God for Friday because Sunday is coming. Hallelujah. We just stop real quick. Uh, God, we just ask that you would be with us right now. God, I ask that you would speak through me, speak to me, and let the people see you and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. The first word, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, 
for they don't know what they are doing. He was falsely accused, arrested, abandoned by those closest to him, subjected to a cruel beating, blindfolded during the beating and was unable to anticipate the blows as they hit him, flogged, stripped of his clothes, whipped continuously, and as the scourging continues, severe bleeding begins as his capillaries and arteries, arteries are under his muscles are exposed because of the severity of the torture. Muscle cramps begin and labor breathing increases as he tries to lift himself up on the cross to relieve the pressure in his lungs, gasping for air. Having little strength to breathe, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. A man suffering in great agony, he could barely breathe. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In his great agony, he is asking for others to be forgiven. We may ask ourselves, what did he mean they don't know what they're doing? Did they not know they were beating an innocent man? Did they not know they were crucifying an innocent man? Did they not know the severity of the actions toward him? I like to believe that they didn't know the enormity of what they were doing. Should they have known? On many occasions, he showed them who he was, but they still nailed him to the cross. Jesus never called on his father to forgive sins during his three-year earthly ministry as he himself demonstrated he had power to forgive sins. If they had only truly known who Jesus was, if they had only known that God's son was up there suffering, if only they had known he could save them, if only they known he was sent to save them. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Even in his agony, Jesus was concerned for the forgiveness of those who were actually counting themselves as his enemies. And as it says in the Old Testament, he bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels or transgressors. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When someone wrongs us, we like to pray that disaster falls upon them. <laughs> we may even be tempted to pray that God would exact his vengeance upon those evildoers. When someone sets out to harm us, our natural reaction is to protect ourselves and to fight back. They gossiped about us, we'll gossip about them. They lied on us, we'll lie about them. They smeared my reputation, I'll smear their reputation. However, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. That standard is that Jesus taught his disciples to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. He was practicing what he preached. He demonstrated that standard by never retaliating when someone wronged him. In church, they wronged him a lot. Jesus gave us a perfect example of praying for our enemies while he was nailed to that cross. In the middle of his own agony, he cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. 
he talked to his father about the very people who were harming him. He did not ask for their destruction. He did not pray for revenge. He prayed that God would, he, that they would be forgiven by his father. Jesus had compassion on the deceived, blinded, misguided people who believed they were doing the right thing by crucifying this man from Nazareth, who was then and now is God's son. They had no idea what was taking place. They had no idea how wrong they were. Jesus was showing everyone how we should respond when people present themselves as our enemies or present themselves as against us. You see, we can follow Christ's example. We pray for those in many cases who hurt us out of their own hurt, not because we did anything to them. Their thinking may be influenced by the enemy. Their attitudes may, be, may have been shaped by past wounds that have nothing to do with us. Their actions may have been manipulated by peer influences. We should follow Jesus' example of praying for those who harm us as he did on the cross. Praying that he will open up the eyes of their hearts that they may be enlightened. We can pray for their repentance. We can pray that God will work in their lives and use the hurt to bring about a change. Praying for our enemies is not natural response to their mistreatment. But we have the greatest guide. In praying, Father, forgive them, Jesus revealed his infinite mercy. He still loved them and would forgive them. He pleaded in spite of his physical pain for his Father to forgive them. And so when Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, he was really saying, Father, forgive them because they need forgiveness more than they even know. He was saying, Father, forgive them, because in the, and even though they were so desperate, they didn't even realize that they needed to be forgiven. When we pray, Father, forgive them, when he prayed, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing, who was included in the them? The soldiers, the mob, the women, the disciples, Pilate, Caiaphas, Judas, Peter, or all the Jewish leaders. But that doesn't exhaust the list in that statement. You were included in them. I was included in them. So when he was praying on that cross, he was praying for you and he was praying for me. Jesus' prayer did something wonderful for us. It assured us that the terrible sins that we might commit that prayer on the cross covered us all. If Jesus could forgive the people who were crucifying him, how much easier could it be for him to forgive us of our sins, great or small? So Jesus paid the penalty for the sins that we commit in our ignorance. That's the don't know what they're doing. And he also prayed for the ones that we commit deliberately. When we are born again and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we too become an answered prayer to Jesus' prayer on the cross when he asked his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Amen. Can we say amen? I tell you, to be honest, what I'm thinking is just saying what she said, and I'll just sit down. <laughs> oh, 
Uh, Lord, just just be with me um, as I come before your people humbly. Just speak what you would have to be said, that you might receive the praise, the honor, and the glory. We ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. And my last word is taken from Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 43. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, if I were to just talk about that one verse, we don't know to whom Jesus is speaking. What is the context? So let's go back just a couple of verses, starting at verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. There are three perspectives here that I want us to consider. As we look at this Good Friday, that Friday that we talk about before, Easter Sunday. One perspective is that of the first malefactor, the criminal. The one who said, if you are Jesus, if you are God, if you are who you claim to be, then save yourself and make sure you save me too. I wonder if sometimes, even though we are Christians, if we just think of Jesus as, what can you do for me? You see, because you are the creator of the universe, because you can handle every situation, because no problem is too great for you, then I should just be able to say, God, fix it. And it should just be all right. Not recognizing that we are in a fallen world, that we are sinners who are in need of a savior, that, as our minister just said, we are in need of forgiveness. But yet we have a second perspective that of the repentant person on the cross who first said, don't you fear God? Aren't you worried about the creator of the universe? You're speaking to him saying, if you are God, well, if he is God, then I think you should have a little more respect. I think you should show some reverence if he is God. And if he is God and has done nothing wrong and can save you, do you deserve to be saved? Do any of us deserve to be saved? The other malefactor recognized that Jesus was sinless. While on the cross in this state, he said that he is without sin. He has done nothing wrong. We, on the other hand, are just getting what we deserve. Even when I talk about how I, I pray, I, I go to church, Lord, I, I tithe, I try to give to those who are in need, the things that I try to do. But God, I am not perfect. And none of us are. Because if you're guilty of breaking one commandment, you're guilty of them all. For God requires perfection. And none of us are perfect. 
But yet God grants us that forgiveness, the one who was without sin, and he gives us that comfort and that peace. And that person says humbly, he just asks, not to be taken down from the cross, which, by the way, I'm thinking that's where I would have been leaning myself. Would you forgive me? And if you forgive me, then maybe I don't have to go through what I'm going through. Then maybe I don't have to suffer the consequences of my sin. Not saying that I haven't sinned. I'm just asking you to spare me the natural consequences. But he doesn't ask that. He says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Even though I know the scripture, but even preparing for it, it just kind of brought a newness to my mind of what must be going through his mind while being on the cross and he is already thinking about what comes after. He's not wondering. He knows that death is coming, but he believes there is going to be a life after death. There will be a giving an account for how he's lived. And he just says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't base it on, I haven't been that bad. You know what? I got a bad rap. It wasn't me. It was my friends and them. No, no. He said, just remember me. And then finally, that third perspective. What was Jesus' response? He said, verily, I say unto thee. In some versions, you might hear the word, amen. Let it be true. Let me assure you. We might say, you can take this to the bank. Bet. Word up. This is going to happen. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord knows I am in no rush to get to heaven. But I am so grateful that as a child of God, I can live each day knowing whenever that day may be that I will be with Jesus someday in paradise. And we know that some have lost those during COVID or even things that are unrelated during this time over the last couple of years. But knowing that if you are a child of God, not because you have done anything deserving, but because you, you cannot deserve grace. You cannot deserve forgiveness by the very definition of what forgiveness is. But if you are a child of God, then you can have eternal life. And you can know whenever that day comes that that day you will be with Jesus in paradise. God bless you and God keep you. I just want to start by saying thank you to God that I'm here, that I have this much of a voice, to the pastor for inviting me to speak. I want to say thank you to all my Emmanuel Baptist family, ministers, the deacons, the members. I'm so grateful to be a part of this family. And I also want to acknowledge all of our guests and say welcome. All right. I think I got this. All right. Um, the 
The scripture that we're reading today comes from John 19, 26 and 27. And it reads, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Let me just go for a word of prayer. Most gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for using me as your servant today. I pray, Father, that you give me the ability to use my lungs, Father, and that your words, Father, are spoken through me. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was married once. I know a lot of you don't know that, but I was. And I had this amazingly wonderful honeymoon. It was fantastic. We went to this dream destination, and we played, and we laughed, and we loved, and we had the best time you could ever imagine. And then when we returned, I was sick. And because I was sick, I couldn't work. And this led to a number of arguments and disagreements. And it led to me learning about something about my husband that no wife should ever have to learn about their spouse. And my marriage was annulled. I remained sick. I was sick because I was pregnant. And at the end of my second trimester, the doctors told me that there was a problem with the pregnancy, and I went into surgery, and I lost the child. I was completely traumatized by this event, and in addition to that, I lost my ability to produce hormones. Without the ability to produce hormones, I found myself with a number of immune diseases. And they gave me six months or less to live, unless something changed. Looking back on this situation, I realize that I was so overcome with the grief of the loss of my unborn child, that my body was shutting down. It wanted to die. Can you imagine at this particular time how a mother feels? No mother should have to grieve the loss of a child whether that child is in utero, whether they're an infant, a toddler, a teenager, whether they are a young adult, they could be in their middle age, they can be a senior citizen, and the grief is still profound. It tears at our soul and our heart. So can you imagine 
Just imagine what Mary is going through right now. Right now, she has watched her son be unjustly imprisoned, beaten, tortured, taunted, and hung on a cross to die. Can you imagine the grief that she is feeling right now? And in the midst of this grief, I imagine, while I can't understand how she's going to overcome it, that she's thinking of the words of Simeon. You see, when Jesus was young, and Joseph and Mary brought their son to the church as they were supposed to do to the synagogue, Simeon saw Jesus as a baby and held Jesus in his hands and celebrated because he had been given the opportunity to see the Messiah. And he praised God, and he blessed Joseph, and he blessed Mary. And then he said this to Mary. He said, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul. A sword has pierced Mary's soul. Healing of the soul. I don't know if that ever happens. But shifting and transforming the pain of this kind of grief, that might be possible, even if it's not easy. One thing. One thing I know that helps a mother to begin to shift, to begin to transform, through this kind of grief. It's our love for our children who are still living. And it's the love that we pour into other children, whether they were born of our body or not. A mother's grief just doesn't shift, just doesn't begin to transform until her love is applied to the living, until she sees God's grace and mercy in the opportunities to love before her. So John 19, 26 says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. Jesus provided a way for Mary to start to transform her grief. But she wasn't the only one standing there. There was also John. And I can only imagine that his grief was deep, was strong, and also needed the opportunity to be transformed. And with that kind of pain, 
with that kind of grief, I have only seen it transformed in community. I've only seen it transformed when you process that grief with someone else who intimately knows the pain of grief, even if they experienced it differently. The transformation of grief can come as we begin to live in our purpose, as we begin to live in our mission, as we continue to serve, to love, and to connect with others who are in need. Jesus saw the disciple John, whom he loves, verse 27, and he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her home. Jesus provides an opportunity for John to begin to move forward, to transform the pain of his grief by sharing it with someone who intimately knows that grief, with someone else who sees both the man, Jesus, and the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, who they have been waiting for, who they have committed to following, who they love, and who they trust. Jesus wants all of us to come together to work through our challenges, our pain, our grief, to work through those things that life presents along the way. We are all mothers, brothers, and sisters under Christ. In fact, Early on in Jesus' ministry, Mark 3, 32 through 35, Jesus is approached by some people and he said, hey, your mothers and your brothers are outside. And Jesus says this, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus wanted us to know while he hung there on the cross that the challenges of life, the ups and downs, they're not something that we have to go through alone. We have family. Look to your right. No, I mean it. Look to your right. <laughs> Look to your left. Look behind you. Look up front. All who you see who do God's will, who are disciples of Christ, are your mother, your brothers, and your sisters. We are family. And so if you're lost in the midst of unbearable grief, if you are challenged with something that you don't know how to handle, Jesus has said, turn to family. Turn to the ones who will pour God's love into you and help you discover that peace that surpasses 
all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Come on, you can do better than that. Put your hands together one more time. What a gift. Well, we are three words in, and we have three more to come. But before we get to the next three, we want to take this time to lift up uh, another opportunity for worship. Uh, as many of you know, one of our core values is grace-inspired giving, meaning that we give back to God because two reasons. God has been so good at giving to us and because he instructs us to. So for those of you that are watching by way of device or streaming, uh, the link should be in the chat that you can go ahead and click. For those of you that are in the building, we'll have our ushers coming around, or you can give online as well. Now, while you do that, we just feel like this is a great moment to lift your spirits a little bit more. And we have a wonderful praise dance that's set up for this moment. So I'll slide out for us to worship.
Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that needs a little bit of grace? See, when you don't need it, you don't worry about it. But for those of us that know you got some issues, you got some challenges, you got some things you can't get over, you know what? Twas it not for grace, where would you be? I, I wish I had some people in the building that I wish I had some grace filled. I, I wish I had some people that knew that it was grace it was amazing grace hallelujah well I'm gonna be right I am not gonna do what you're not supposed to do I'm not gonna preach before the preacher amen well uh, we have three more words coming towards us before we have another song and I want to do a special introduction so uh, two of the ministers in this group are brand new to us they are members of our church. They've gone through the processes. Uh, they've been working. They've been in the background. I've been watching them. And this is their first time being brought into our fold. So it is with great joy that I introduce to you Reverend Jeff Martin, who has our fourth word. Reverend Celinda, one of our own, who has our fifth. And then Minister Terry Brown, again, another new member. He and his family are also connected. So can we put our hands together and celebrate Reverend Jeff Martin? Amen. Well, I'm going to come up here and bear my soul right up front. Get that all out the way. God has been good to me. And when I heard the song that our very talented dancer danced to, I almost started to cry. But as my wife knows, that's no big secret. Because my very first sermon, I cried. Got the nickname Reverend Boohoo. <laughs> but since then, you know, I became a man man. So I know how to hold them tears back just a little bit. But, you know, allergies. That's what it is. Allergies, allergies. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being here with us tonight. 
we feel your presence. Lord, we know that we're undeserving of this presence, Lord, but we are so thankful. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for thinking about us. And what we're talking about tonight, thank you for dying for us. Lord, take these feeble words that I've collected, Lord, and make them your own. Lord, hide me behind your cross. Let them see all of thee and none of me. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So our fourth word. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? In the fourth word from the cross, Jesus is quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. A psalm that is full of predictions of his crucifixion. It is noteworthy also that this is the only time that Jesus addresses God as God in this prayer. In all his other prayers, he refers to him as Father. And in the more intimate form, Abba. But here, in the hour of his greatest desolation, he addresses God as would any other human being. This address doesn't represent loss of faith. To the contrary, the fact that he is praying my God shows that he still trusts God. But the intimacy, the intimacy of his fellowship seems to have been broken. There is a loss of contact. Jesus can no longer feel his father's presence. So let's talk about forsaken. You know, forsaken is a hard one for us to think about. You know, in the Greek, and I'm going to jack this up, Pastor. I already, I already apologize. All right. I heard about it five times on, on Google, so I'm going to try to get it right. In the Greek, it is enkatelepo. That means to separate, uh, separate that connection with someone or something, to be forsaken, to abandon, to desert. You know, we are so steeped in the promises of the Old and New Testament, it tells us everything to the contrary. You know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So to hear that this word forsaken coming from Christ doesn't connect with us. But clearly here Jesus seems that he is utterly utterly forsaken by God. So we know that God is holy and he is righteous. So much so that unholy people like you and I cannot come in front of him. We just can't come any way we want to. In fact, we can't even draw close to God because he is a consuming fire. And anything that is unholy that comes in close contact with that consuming fire is going to be burned up. So we have to keep our distance. You know, our sins and iniquities have caused the separation between us and our Lord. Anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? Well, do that times infinity. And that's the gap that's between us and God because of our sin. But you ask, and I, I can hear it, I can hear it, I can hear it in there. But what does this have to do with the sinless Jesus? You know, Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where he says, God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is forsaken because he has taken on our sins. He is atoning for us. You know, John tells us that he is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. So that tells me he's the only one that can. Now, Jesus knows that the cross would mean separation from God. He went into this with his eyes wide open. In fact, the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, take this cup from me. But then, then, he made his decision. Not my will, but yours be done. So now the horror and the magnitude of the requirement that this cup brings, that the holy Jesus bear our unholy sins, comes in full fury as the darkness of God's judgment grows heavy. And he feels the Father's comforting presence sucked away. He who has been with the Father through all eternity is now utterly alone. Now the Father's focus at this hour is to serve judgment upon those sins that Jesus is bearing. So let's check that out. So envision this moment with me. God is on his throne, right? You are on earth. And between you and God, suspended somewhere between you and heaven, there's Christ on his cross. Your sins have been placed on Jesus. God punishes sin. So he releases his rightful wrath on your mistakes. Jesus receives the blow for your mistakes. And since Christ is between you and God, you don't. The sin is punished, but you are safe. Safe in the shadow of his cross. So that is what God did. But why? Why did he do it? Is there a moral duty? Heavenly obligation? Paternal requirement? No. God is required to do nothing. Besides, consider what he did. He gave his only son. Would you do that? Would you offer the life of one of your children for someone else? I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't. There are those whom I would give my life for. But ask me to make a list for those whom I would kill my children for. I can tell you right now, the sheet will be blank. The list has no names. But God's list contains the name of everyone who has ever been born and everyone who will be born. 
And what's the reason for this? The reason is that he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, it's nice to be included. No, we aren't always included on stuff, like the good list anyway. But though some may exclude us, Christ includes us. You know, when asked to describe uh, the width of his love, he stretched one hand to the right. Then he stretched the other to the left. And he had them nail them in place. So that you would know that when he died, he was loving you all the time. His agonizing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Enables us a tiny glimpse of what it must have cost Jesus to die for our sins. Our forgiveness is not free. It wasn't for the Father. It wasn't for the Son. It wrenches them apart, puts them on opposite sides, makes them enemies for a little while. This agonizing saying from the cross teaches us something about how much the Father and Son both love us. So much that they were willing to sever their love from one another. Now perhaps, maybe just a little bit, we can better understand the fourth word from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Amen. by the grace of God. Amen to our praise dancer. Many blessings unto her and her family for her obedience in doing that this evening. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your grace that is sufficient, for your forgiveness, O oh God, that falls upon us even when we don't know that we need it, O oh God. We know that we need it at every moment and every breath. So move, Master, now. Let my words, O oh, oh Lord, just be your words more so, Father God, that Jesus will come forth and I will be able to just be still, O oh God, and, and be your vessel, O oh God, and we'll be ever so mindful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. The fifth word is coming out of the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. After the word became flesh, Jesus says, I am thirsty. After the Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world, Jesus says, I am thirsty. After the many miraculous moments in being held, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
being betrayed and proclaiming, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus says, I am thirsty. After having unjustly being judged, crucified, and his garments being divided up amongst the soldiers, he can finally release it all and say, I am thirsty. Jesus has this whole time been focusing on his purpose. Jesus has been obedient to his father and stayed the course. Jesus became flesh and walked amongst the lost so that we all could be found and receive our entry into that eternal glory. But the journey was not easy. The steps taken were more challenging than not. Jesus encountered a road that no ordinary human could endure, told differently than found in the other three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We see this story unfold in this synoptic gospel according to John, that Jesus is revealed to these first century Greek and Jewish communities as being fully human and fully divine. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Jesus was revealing the many ways in which one could believe and receive eternal life. And do the people believe? Not all the way. Do the miracles performed quell the doubts? Not all the way. If we consider all that is happening today, it seems like the times haven't changed that much. Throughout the gospel, according to John, the more Jesus reveals his power, the more he is falsely accused and challenged. The more Jesus reveals his wisdom from on high, the more he is lied upon and ridiculed. The more Jesus even brings life to those who are dead, the more he is questioned and threatened. So that when we get to this point in the story, and I applaud and give a hand of praise to all my fellow ministers who have done a phenomenal job, amen, to this point, and I'm sure they will continue to. But we can presume that in his humanness, hanging on the cross, with the arms stretched out wide, the weight of the hours of the day crushing the breath out of his body, the fluids in the body being depleted through the frailty of the human body, 
The medical experts say death arrives via asphyxiation or exhaustion. Jesus, in all his humanness, is thinking, I really can't take anymore. I am thirsty. I have endured the accusing. I have endured the challenging. I am thirsty. I have withstood being lied upon and ridiculed. I have withstood being threatened and questioned. I am thirsty. Oh God, how much longer? My friends, do you think you have experienced this kind of thirst? With this global coronavirus pandemic now lasting pretty much 25 months and counting, because I'm sorry to say it's not over, I, I, it's not over. I am sorry if you have lost a loved one in this merciless illness. Too many lives have been cut short. Too many dreams were never realized. Children now left parentless and families now left with the emptiness through the tearful nights and days. I can hear the crying out. I am thirsty. Maybe you have lost your job, you no longer have the financial standing you may have had, and you have been unable to pay your rent, and the bills have only been piling up. I can imagine one is exclaiming, I am thirsty. With the weight of being a caretaker for loved ones who are sick, sleepless nights and endless caretaking duties one would never imagine doing, one medical issue after another medical issue leading to another 911 call and an ambulance ride to the hospital. Let me join front and center and say, I am thirsty. Or maybe now even in this current generation with all the technological advances, no TikTok, Facebook, Zoom, Twitter, or virtual world game, can replace the actual human connection needed to share the space with another friend, a relative, or a classmate, and feel accepted, feel that you belong, and create life memories together. We have a whole generation of humankind. I am not sure if they realize it or not, but I think they are also crying. I am thirsty. Our biblical scholars write that Jesus in his humanness has given all he could give. He has focused on everyone else's needs as much as he could. And even on the cross, we have already heard he has continued to be the caretaker for his mother. But now in his humanness, he turns to his divine connection. And Jesus taps into that which can give him eternal life. And so in this fifth word, he says... I am thirsty. Jesus is not longing for an earthly water to quell his thirst. We've already seen no type of earthly water would suffice. He had already shown his power to walk on water, and he was still thirsty. He had already turned water into wine, and he was still thirsty. The jar of wine vinegar used to soak the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant would not quench his thirst. Maybe the wine vinegar was more so there to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures in Psalms 22 and 69, 
where the righteous sufferer also cried out and was thirsty. My friends, Jesus was longing for that spiritual connection. He was longing for that heavenly space where his spirit could be fed, his spirit could be replenished. For if we look up this uh, thirst in the Greek, Reverend Jeff, dipsao, I believe I said that right. <laughs> in the book of John chapter 19, figuratively speaking, this type of thirst is more of a longing that is felt and thirsted after in the spirit, where the soul is refreshed, the soul is supported, and the soul is strengthened. I am thirsty. Jesus on the cross had this desire. He was longing for it passionately, longing for it fervently, for the one who sent him. Jesus was thirsty for the one who had not left him alone. I am thirsty. This thirst could only be satisfied by his heavenly father. John 13, 3 reads, For Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. This thirst in the spirit could only be quenched by sitting at the right hand of the father with all power in his hand. This thirst in the spirit could only be satisfied by joining the righteous judge. So on this Good Friday, friends, what will quench your thirst? My sisters and brothers in Christ, I know the commercial says Red Bull gives you wings, but I'm not sure that those wings can take you to the heavenly places. I know Coke Zero touts having zero calories, zero sugar, zero fat, and zero protein, leaving one to think it doesn't matter how much I drink, it's Coke Zero. But how much more life-preserving is it to drink from the living water that will become in him a spring of welling up to eternal life? What will quench our thirst, friends? And I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell on myself, um, uh, I'm going to be the one to say it the loud, but again, on this COVID madness, once this COVID madness is done, and life, we can have it at least a little bit of normalcy, I pray that we have an opportunity to go out and have a nice dinner with a glass of some kind of spirits. Now, just blink twice, and let me put my glasses down, when I get to yours. A Bloody Mary, some Remy or Hennessy, a Cadillac margarita, a nice Chardonnay or Zinfandel. I haven't seen any blinks yet. Um, some gin and juice, or maybe just a Shirley Temple. Now they report that during this pandemic, liquor sales hit over $40 billion, Pastor Jason. $40 billion. That's a whole lot of spirits being used to quench this thirst. But that is an earthly thirst, my friends. What about our heavenly thirst? We are supposed to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Not through the spirits, but by the spirit of God, who will then bring fulfillment 
to our lives, therein will our thirst be quenched. And I'm getting ready to take my seat, but too many times we think the things of the world will ease our thirst. Too many times we think the power and riches of this world will ease our thirst. Dare I say, look at the catastrophe that's happening with Ukraine and our political democracy madness here in the United States. What are we truly longing for? What should we really be passionate about? What is going to satisfy that thirst? My brothers and sisters in Christ, this Good Friday, we will come to pro continue to proclaim, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will continue to thirst. If you don't know him as the living water, you will continue to thirst. If you don't know the good shepherd, who's leading then are you following, you will continue to thirst. And so on this Good Friday, we praise God that Jesus in his humanness endured. He fought out what he could only uh, uh, work with he, or deal with so that he could get to his heavenly home. I am thirsty, he proclaimed. And our only wise God, our glorious Father, brought his son back into the heavenly kingdom. My friends, what are you thirsty for? Amen. God bless you. Father, Lord, we thank you and for your presence here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would just hide me now behind your cross so that you can clearly receive the limelight. Do now what only you can, and we'll be sure to give your name the praise. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus' name. We pray, and all the believers in this place say amen. So I've been given the humble assignment to stand and to share my uh, conviction on the sixth word that Jesus declared from the cross. Uh, the text that I'm gonna be reading from tonight will be coming from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse number 30. And the text reads this way. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So tonight, for, for the time that is mine, I want to rest on the subject the last words that continue to speak. The last words that continue to speak. Focusing on this passage, the, the scene is set. The chilling darkness at Calvary could be felt as God begins to dim the lights throughout the earth. The veil of the temple was torn in two. The darkness and the veil being torn were miracles that God performed to testify to who he is. Obviously, Jesus physically sleep deprived, 
dehydrated from the crucifixion, which was an excruciating and painful process. Psychologically tormented and afflicted, struggling with breath as his lungs are being filled with carbon dioxide because his lungs have collapsed. Every breath becomes laborious. Breath that once proclaimed Lazarus come forth. Breath that once said, Father, who art in heaven. Breath that once said, open your eyes and see. Breath that once said that your faith has made you well. Losing blood and precious life-sustaining water from sweating. He's been deserted by the disciples, betrayed by his brothers, and denied by his friends. And then, to add insult to injury, he is now hung between two thieves. And, and then he states, it is finished. Jesus said it is finished, which in the Greek is only one word, to telestai, which means it is finished. This phrase is crucial in this space because it signifies the successful end to a particular course of action. It signifies that Jesus has now finished the work that his father had sent him to do which was to teach the gospel, to perform miracles, and to achieve reconciliation for his people. The debt of sin was paid in full, and indeed, all things were now accomplished. Now, many in the Christian tradition have gone back and forth as to what Jesus was finishing and why he had to finish it now. And I think that in and of itself can, can be a small lesson for us today that the responsibility to finish is not a one-size-fits-all. As we are all in different places on our journey and at different spaces in our lives, we are not dealing with the same issues. We are not fighting the same battles. Therefore, it is finished might look different for me than it will for you. But no matter where you are or who you are, Jesus offers us a lesson on how to deal with the many transitions of life. And so, so the lesson that I pulled from this text that I would like to submit for you tonight is that you must remember where you started. Why is it necessary for Jesus to publicly state it is finished? I mean, because nobody under the cross even knew what he was talking about. And even today, in our modern translation of this text, I've often heard this passage preached, putting a lens on great accomplishments or great achievements, what it means to finish the book you want to write, what it means to finish the degree you aspire to have, to achieve great things or accomplish whatever goal you have set to do in life. And although I would encourage any of us not to just write the vision, but to finish the vision that we have for our lives as well. But I could not help but to hear Jesus whispering, Terry, to know why I had to announce it is finished, you first need to go back to the agony I had when I started. In order for you to make sense of my finish, you first need to, to go back to my beginning. We know that as Jesus stood at the Mount of Olives, he withdrew from his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will must be done. In other words, Jesus was asking God to get him out of this situation. Jesus was saying, God, deliver me from this. 
But even after Jesus admitted his agony, he still had to acknowledge God's will. That lets us know that Jesus saying it is finished was not out of an act of Jesus completing something on his bucket list. Jesus saying it is finished was not a culmination of a five-year career plan. Wrapped in humanity, the cross was something that Jesus agonized to endure. Crucifixion was something that he did not desire to confront, but yet it was something that he had to go through. So, so it is finished was actually an announcement that I survived the very thing that I prayed to escape. It is finished is an announcement that I made it through a time that I didn't even want to see coming in. Saints of God, you know, I've learned uh, that it's a bit easier to, to, to finish what you ask God for. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's joyful to finish what you were ready to do. It's delightful to finish what you wanted to complete. But on this cross, Jesus shows us that sometimes you have to finish what you didn't even want to start. Sometimes you have to complete what you didn't even want to confront. Sometimes you find yourself going through the very thing that you tried to push away. And you know, there might be some of us here tonight who might be in the same predicament as Jesus. I mean, we find ourselves having to complete what we didn't even want to start. We, we're having to endure what we didn't even want to enter into. We find ourselves having to go through the same thing that we ask God specifically to take us out of. We find ourselves drinking the cup that we pray for God to take away. But you know, sometimes to make sense of your finish, you must remember the pain when you started. Sometimes to see your courage when it's over, you've got to remember your fear when it first began. Because when you look back from where you started, then you will see just how far you've actually come. And then you can begin to celebrate where you are standing right now. But even in this horrific, painful moment that Jesus is going through, he still finds the ability to speak the words, it is finished. And I don't know who might be listening tonight, but if I could just provide a, a little bit of hope in this space and say that these last words still have the power to speak out and into your terrible and difficult situations. And, and if I could just keep it real, everybody listening to me right now might not be going through their most pleasant season. Some are not liking this season of your life, but you still need to testify that it is finished. And because it is finished, you can boldly declare that God still is a very present help in times of trouble. Because it is finished, you can stand knowing that God is my light and my salvation. You can declare that God still is the joy and the strength of my life. He moves all pain, misery, and strife. He Promise to keep me, never to leave me. He never, ever comes short of his word. I wish I just had a couple people in here tonight that would just start getting excited. Praise him in advance for the it is finished blessings that are about to be released in your life. Praise him in the midst of the process. You know why? Because you already know the end. It, these last words, it is finished, 
still have the power to speak to your deliverance, still have the power to speak to your restoration, still have the power to speak to your fear as well as your victory, still have the power to speak life to your specific area of concern and need, allowing you to sit in the truth that all things are still working together for your good simply because it is finished. I wish you put those hands together and give God some praise tonight because it is finished.
anywhere Reverend Joe Moore in the building with us today Reverend Joe words thus far have been a blessing to our souls, have they not? Somebody give God a hand praise. Pastor looked at me and asked me what I was going to get up here and do after Minister Terry. And I said, I, I, I'm going to give the benediction right now. <laughs> amen, amen. I'm kidding. God show sure is good. As I sat here and I began to think about uh, 25 years, 25 years ago I was 25 <laughs> and I stood here in this pulpit for the first time. And what shouts me the most about tonight, listening and seeing the new life that Emmanuel has, we are in good hands. Can somebody shout to God that we are in good hands? We are in good, good hands. Amen. And so if you would, as we get into this last word, I would, would that you would pray with me. And I'm going to do something strange to you that you might not have even seen before. But I'm going to ask God to let that song that Jasmine sang be my prayer. You can do that, you know. And so I'll just say this. Heavenly Father, all of thee and none of me. In Jesus' name, amen. The seventh word spoken from the cross. 
the last word spoken from the cross comes to us from the book of Luke, which we've taken from the Synoptic Gospels. Luke, the 23rd chapter, 46th verse. And he said, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. King James says it this way. And when Jesus cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. For this seventh word, I'd like to put a title to this, if you will, for the next few moments and want you to think about this subject. It's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. The timeline of these biblical events shared on tonight have reached a culmination. From the sentence of death at 7 a.m. to the, his position on the cross at 9 a.m. to where we have reached in the text here at the time of the eighth hour, which would be 2 p.m. Jesus has during this time been beaten by hand and whipped nailed impaled, stabbed with a spear, gouged through to his skull bone, all by, while being mocked and scorned, all in a matter of seven hours. He has been just a guest on visit here to earth and found out then what we still see today, that the world is not a hospitable place. He tried to teach others about how life should be lived here on earth based on life in his native land of heaven. But only a few would join him in taking up their cross and following him. He should have been considered an out-of-town guest. But instead of being accepted for his knowledge of the word, he was hated on by his own colleagues. And it appears that they have given him a hands-on treatment for all his trouble. And for all the time he's laid hands on people and healed them and his desires to touch the world. He now stands at an impasse. An impasse where he has to now do something as a son and take his hands off of what he's been holding and give it to his daddy. I've held this as long as I could, daddy. But now it's your time to take what I'm giving you in order to finish this job. So in reference to my life and my spirit, I'm taking my hands off and I'm giving it to you and I'm going to give it to you in your hands because if it's in your hands, it means that my hands are off. And when I take my hands off my life, it's out of my hands and into yours. He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Throughout the Bible, God had a wonderful habit of using whatever a person possessed if that person would simply yield it to God. God used a stick from Moses, a coat from Joseph, pennies from a widow, a slingshot from David, a jawbone from Samson, and some fish and loaves from a little boy. All they had to do was take it out of their hands and put it in his. 
family, God will always be hands on if we just learn how to take our hands off, to entrust to him the very thing that he needs to make a miracle or complete a task or make a change or flat out fix it. We have to give it to him. Some of us have learned that keeping things from him have resulted in us going through unnecessary hells. And we now live in a society that has kept so much from him that it's hard to see him move throughout the earth anymore. Can't move in schools because prayer is gone. Can't move at home because the covenant God designed for marriage has been compromised and we act like it's not. And he can't move at church because we've exchanged our praise and worship for the silence of social distance and muffled mass. I can't breathe in this thing well enough to praise him. I'm happy to be wrong, so if I am, you can prove it to me now. And I wonder if there's still someone who still has some praise underneath your mask and can still shout glory in the house because you do know that to give God what is due to him in our worship is actually not you keeping your hands on but you raise them up to take your hands off and you give him what is reasonable and that is your worship and I wish somebody could get their mask a little wet if it ain't moist you ain't doing it right And your hands up in praise to him or declaration to him that because you're bigger than me, you're bigger than my life. I got to give this to you. The residuals are that once he got it, then he got you. It's out of my hands. Is there anyone who understands? Into thy hands I commit myself, my spirit, my life, it's out of my hands. Let me help you with this. Year is 1984. It's the winter time in the Midwest. If you're from the Midwest or been there in the winter, I need not say more, but the weather was about five below. But with the wind chill factor, it was 20 below zero. I have found myself in the garage and I'm doing a job on the family car with my daddy. My assignment was to hold the light. It was to hold the light and to hand him whatever he asked for. Hmm? If he asked me for a wrench, I'd hand him a wrench. If he asked for a screwdriver, I'd hand him a screwdriver. If he asked me for some pliers, I'd hand him a plier. Whatever he asked for, I'd hand it to him. But my main job was to hold the light. Mm. If the transportation that I had and that we had as a family was ever going to get fixed or back on the road from point A to point B, it meant that me being the son, I had to be able to hand to the father exactly what he needed to fix. I know somebody walking with me. I mean, I had to do it. This was my daddy. 
And I knew at age 12 that if we was ever going to ride again, I had to give him what he needed in order to fix the job. Is that somebody walking to me? And so in the, in the coldest of days and the darkest of nights, I'd be there under the car in the garage holding the light for my father, handing him whatever he needed. And I declare that I knew at 12 years old that I had to commit myself to the job. If it was going to get done, I had to do it. If I was going to give him what he needed I had to give it whatever he asked for I had to deliver and I wish somebody was walking in the text yet but you got to get to the text now whatever God needed Jesus could deliver he was the son and he said about my life and everything that I came bled and died for it's my time to hand my daddy exactly what he needs to fix it all I had to do was hand him what he needed to get the job done. After I handed it to him, through the pain of the freezing hands and the cold weather, the garage would open up and the car would turn on and all through the cuts of the metal and the, and the blood on his hands dried up, he could get us on the road again and the car got fixed. Lord have mercy. Our ride, beloved, is in place. After Jesus committed his spirit to the Lord, the last handoff was made. The garage to heaven was open. And we can all ride the fixed vehicle of death and damnation into eternal life. All I'm trying to say that once it was out of his hands, he fixed it. Is there anybody that got a shout to the facts that he fixed it? You can trust him with everything. You can trust him if you hand him a hammer. I believe God knows what to do with the hammer. Huh? Because there are some things that you've been hammering around in your life. That thing that you can't seem to nail down. You can't get rid of it and it can't get right with your spirit. Some of us need to hand him the hammer so he can knock some sense into us. But if you hand it to him, he can fix it. Does anybody know that he'll drive you in the right direction? And he'll pull you and pull things out of you that don't need to be there. If you hand it to him, if you commit it to him, he can fix it. Is there anybody that know that if you hand them a screwdriver, it doesn't matter what is turning you on or turning you off in this life. He has the ability to tighten it up. Whatever you need him to tighten, he can tighten it. And if there's something that needs to be loosed, does anybody know that he can loosen it? Sometimes you might need to hand him a pair of pliers because sometimes there's a loose screw or this is a wrench. Sometimes there's a loose screw called you that you need needs to tighten up amen it's important that you know what you're handing your daddy sometimes i didn't know what it was daddy had to tell me what it was so i could handle the right thing but once i knew what it was i knew what it was is there anybody here into thy hands i commit my spirit out of my hands Jesus did what he said he was going to do <sighs> have you not figured it out yet since all those things are out of my hand I gave them to my father 
Once I gave them to my father, I'm back to my original job, and that is to hold the light. All you and I have to do, beloved, is hold the light. Jesus did the work. He's got all the tools now. If you've given him everything you can give him, including your life, he has everything that he needs. All you've got to do is continue to hold the light. This was an easy one for me to do because this is actually how I eulogized my father many years ago. This was the sermon that I used. And, I, and my, my close to that sermon was that, Dad, I'm still holding the light. No matter, even though he's gone, I'm still holding the light. All we've got to do, beloved, is hold up the light. Commit ourselves to the Lord. Just as Jesus committed his spirit in some glad morning, when this life is over, we can say like Jesus, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Hallelujah and happy Easter. It looks dark now, but Sunday is on the way. Fret not yourself and let's not wait until the battle is over. You can shout now because on this night, he fixed it and the garage will open on Sunday. God bless you. I say, if uh, any of you know Reverend Joe, he is the prop master, amen? <laughs> I should have known that he was going to come up with something. But I close with this thought. As has been so eloquently said from all of our ministers, as we think about these words, look at this process. The very last thing that Jesus does his hand is life over. And I don't know who might be here today. <clears throat> the one thing that you need to do is to hand your life over. I know that in all your tutelage, all your living, you think that you can deal with your life the best. You really think that you have your best interests in mind. You think that you can work it the best, lead you the best. But if any of us can be honest, you know that you haven't always led you to the best places. You haven't always built yourself up the way that you ought to. In fact, some of us have found ourselves in some of the most worst situations we could ever be in because we wanted to keep hands on. But as just as many of you know, you need to act like you driving and go hands free. Amen. God desires your life. And I guarantee it is no better place for your life to be. So if you would, let's take this moment. And let us go to God together in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for every single one of these words. Thank you for the reminder of your spirit. Thank you for everything that you have done. That you would even be willing to utter words from the crosses beyond us. In my most painful moments, sometimes the only thing I can think of is silence. I stew inside of myself. But God, in your love, 
you ingratiate us with words that we might hang our lives on. So Father, I don't know who may be under the sound of my voice, someone who may be listening via our stream or someone who is in the building. God, I pray that if there's anyone outside of a relationship with you, that you would do that in this moment. That everything that we've preached about, everything that we've lifted up, everything is about a life to be given. And if you are here, this is what love looks like. Love is not a bunch of rules and laws that we say that you got to follow. Love is not you trying to earn your way into heaven because there is nothing that you can do to get you there. Love is you receiving a gift through grace that we are able to grab a hold of via faith that will give us access into eternal life. So, as the Bible says in Romans 10 and 9, that if you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, that you would be saved, I want to give you a chance to make that declaration today. So if you are able to hear my voice, I want you to repeat this prayer aloud after me. Now, for those of you that have said the prayer before, this is your time to reaffirm it to yourself and prayerfully encourage somebody else. But for those of you that have never said the prayer before, this is your chance to put your hand in the master's hand. If you're here, repeat these words. Say, Dear Jesus, Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Say, I believe in you, that you died on a cross for my sins. And that on the third day, God raised you up again. See, I admit that I've made some mistakes. And for those, I'm truly sorry. But I now admit that you have taken all those mistakes away. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being my Lord. While all heads bowed, all eyes still closed. Father, I thank you for every single person who made a declaration of faith today. And I pray now for those who still have a decision to make. For I believe it to be so true. If it's right to be in church, it's wrong to be out. And God, if you have someone under the sound of my voice that you are calling to be a part of this community, a part of this fellowship, we pray that you would allow that decision to be made today. God, we love you. We thank you. And it truly is in your marvelous son, Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen. For those that are watching, I know that it is evening, but we still care enough about you to make sure that if you just made a declaration of faith, you are now a follower of Jesus. Or if you want to connect with our church, that we have our phone line, which is available, where you can call or we can connect you so that you can figure out the next process of this, uh, the next steps within this process. For those of you that are in the building. We'll have individuals available right after service. If you want to connect with our church or you just said that prayer, you can come and see us. I believe Agape is open. If it is not, just find one of us, our ministers or deacons or somebody, and we'll get you all plugged in. We don't want you to go through this process alone. Now, for one last time, can we thank God for the amazing preaching that we heard today? 
Hallelujah. God is incredibly good. And I stand here so excited seeing so many who are growing in the gifting that God is giving them. I'm telling you, I'm ecstatic. And some I have no hands on. They just came and they already doing great things. And I'm so glad that God is connecting them uh, to our ministry. Just as a reminder, as we get ready to close out, uh, Stations of the Cross, if you didn't get a chance to stop by Stations of the Cross today, it will be open again tomorrow at 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It is a self-guided tour. Uh, It is a quiet reflection that takes us back through the moment that readies our heart for Easter Sunday morning. And if you are, if you are here for Good Friday, you want to be here for Easter. If there's a day we want to celebrate, we want to celebrate that. And for those of you that have children or grandchildren, please check our link on the website because we do have an Easter egg hunt right after that. Now let me check. Sandra, did I miss anything? Thank you, good God, hallelujah. And can we just always do a special thanks to our our worship team, our, our musicians, our worship pastor, all of those who are here, video team, media. And I know I don't say it often, but thank God for our ushers that are here, always taking care of us. Uh, We thank God for that. Well, we're going to close out today. And instead of doing our normal benediction, I want to close us in a moment of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? God, as we hold in this moment, knowing that death came to your son, that you allowed our penalties to fall upon his back. And for a brief moment in time, you separated yourself. And he descended into the terribleness of separation from you. As we go through these next days, let us hold just how meaningful that is. For each of us that feels lonely, misunderstood by ourselves. Let us be reminded that you took even separation, loneliness, and forsakenness that we might never have to be apart from you again. We pray now, God, as we prepare to head out of this building that you would keep us safe and that you would keep our minds connected, our souls enlivened, and our hearts angled towards you. We love you. And it is in your marvelous son Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen. God bless you and see you Resurrection Sunday.